my introduction to the brutal realities of the North Pacific was over. As harsh as that introduction had been, though, there was nothing that persuaded me that my goal was impossible. My boat would have to be refitted to cope better with the severe conditions of the North Pacific. I would have to make sure I escaped the Japanese coast earlier in the spring, but I knew it could be done. My return to Japan the following year and my subsequent rapid progress towards San Francisco had justified that belief. But now that progress was about to come to a halt. The previous two days I'd been rowing in mountainous seas, as I would learn much later, but suspected at the time, two massive storm systems had collided a couple of hundred miles to the south of me. That collision in the middle of such a vast ocean had in turn created an enormous swell, which radiated out from the epicentre of the battling storm systems for hundreds of miles in every direction, like angry ripples racing away from two huge rocks dropped into the centre of a pond. The ocean around me became a watery version of the rolling countryside of the Sussex Downs on the south coast of England, which was now my home. But this was a vast, roaring and much wetter version. Though it is awe-inspiring to view from the deck of a 21-foot boat, a huge rolling ocean isn't necessarily a threat to such a vessel. I'd rowed through similar conditions before, as I'd skirted typhoons, and I'd learned how to cope with them. Once I'd come to terms with the intimidating scale of these seas, I'd developed and mastered a technique that kept me safe while still allowing me to make forward progress. The added problem on this occasion was that because of the relatively close proximity of the two storm systems, I was also being hit by large, flat breaking waves. Those waves were almost independent of the huge swells roaring towards me. Large breaking waves capsize small boats, especially small rowboats. To make matters worse, the waves were coming at me from a chaotic variety of directions. In sailing terms, it's what's known as a confused sea, but this was confused on an epic scale. Still, there was a discernible trend in the direction of the swell toward the east, where I was headed. Whenever it was feasible to make headway toward the east, I rode relentlessly, regardless of conditions and despite rain and wind, protected only by my knowledge and experience. Despite the challenging weather, I stayed on the oars. For 48 hours, I battled my way towards the US coast on the back of this thunderous, unpredictable and terrifying maritime roller coaster. I gritted my teeth and pushed my fears of the hostile environment to the back of my mind. A stubborn determination to gain every mile to the east was my only focus. I set the boat and myself up to deal with the daunting yet undeniably exhilarating conditions as safely and efficiently as possible. Safely is, of course, a relative term when you were talking about a small plywood boat in a near hurricane. I'd watch the colossal mountains of water rearing up behind my tiny boat, carrying on their backs rows of deadly breaking waves, 20 to 30 feet high, that tumbled down towards me one behind the other. The noise was as terrifying as a sight, a thunderous roar as if heaven and earth were competing to see which of them could shout the loudest. Water crashed into the aft of my boat, smashing over her, and me at times, passing beneath us at others, occasionally lifting us up on a surf-edged magic carpet ride of speed. It would be an adrenaline-fueled couple of days. Even as the boat and I were pummeled by waves and battered for hours on end, an almost unbearable drain on energy and morale, I kept going by doing what generations of sailors, and for that matter Royal Marines, have done. I concentrated on what was in front of me, the small but crucial task, taking my mind, if not my body, out of the storm. I stowed everything on board securely, attached the safety leash that connected me to the boat around my ankle, and ballasted the vessel with gallons of seawater in heavy-duty black trash can liners, 
tying a simple knot in the top to secure the water inside. I stowed them along the keel of my boat in the centre lockers where they'd be most effective in helping to keep the boat upright. I moved my rowing position further back to gain as much protection as possible from the aft cabin. In everything I did, I kept the weight of the boat low and central, with a bias towards the back to make her additionally resistant to broaching, going side onto the sea, and capsizing. In particular, the threat was from the side-swiping rogue waves that were broadsiding me on a regular basis in this confused sea. I strung out a long line with a small drogue on the end. A drogue is a small canvas version of the much larger nylon power anchor I carried on board. It was designed only to slow the boat's progress, not halt it completely, like the power anchor. I deployed it from the stern. It created a predisposition for the boat to run with a stern towards the prevailing waves. That reduced my rowing speed a little, but didn't halt it. Above all...